All right. Well, I think last time we left off at a pretty interesting, um, you know, cliffhanger, which was we were talking about Ooh, how many cliffhanger? shoes. Yeah. Well, I'm, ah. I'm trying to work in those. I don't know. I, I, that's why I think it is. But you know, we'll okay. See. Um, which which was when we were discussing how many shoes you had made in your career so far, which um, seemed like it was a lot. Uh, you had, you know, you're trying to recall. Oh yeah. And um, you know, you were touching on well, you had. Um, an assistant and you know you had done your work at uh, in in california and all that so i figured maybe mm-hmm. this is a good time if we can kind of recall i guess your i guess your journey to where where you miss, are now my misspent um, youth <laughs> well we'll see how misspent it is um I, i'd love to i mean because you know i thought it was a pretty straightforward path but you know from the sounds of it, it, yeah, it, I, I was just kind of guessing, and you know, you've probably had a couple of twists and turns, and you know, maybe, yeah, we'd yeah, like to hear. That. All right, that's fine. Okay, so where do we begin? Well, um, you have a question or two, or how do you want to frame this? Well, I, I mean, I, I was just kind of let you kind of tell tell the story however you'd see fit. I mean, you did touch upon how you um, went to California and I guess worked in a, a smaller shop uh doing it seemed like a, a lot of custom work for um some hollywood stars but i, I don't know if you want to start from there and and kind of talk to talk about how that went and you know where you went from there or if you want to start before that i mean that's fine uh oh boy that's a good question um i i suppose that's um probably a good place to to jump in at so yeah um when i went to the west coast um I hung out in San Diego for a few years, uh, basically just kind of doing um, some orthopedic work and, um, you know, lots of repairs and things like that. And when I got up, went up the coast into L.A., that's when I started working for uh, first a, a, a shoemaker who was actually in Westwood, and his brothers actually had a fairly robust shoe making business in New York City. Uh, they were called the Anania brothers, but this particular brother, um, trying to remember what his first name was, but it escapes me at the moment. But anyway, he had a very nice business out there. So I knocked around with him for a couple of years, and then uh, I went over to uh, the other guy where who we were you know, doing a lot of the, that Hollywood crowd. And as I mentioned about, you know, the, you know, Dean Martin working on uh, his footwear and you know, a lot of other people. And um, so that was a nice little situation, as I said, because the people that I worked next to, we were all basically, you know, putting shoes together. And it was like a, just a, as I said, a small, if you want to call it assembly line, so to speak. But we, you know, we we just got the the tops that were already made up that were going on that particular pair of lasts, and we you know, did all the the bottom work and did the lasting and tacked it down and attached uh, all the necessary parts to it to and, and get the. I'm I'm kind of curious. You, you mentioned you were first in San Diego doing, I guess, more orthopedic stuff. Was that like make, making mm-hmm. shoes, or or not, not really? Uh, not as much. I mean, I was doing some little bits and pieces of that because of the orthopedic part of it. So 
Uh, and it did actually help me when I got up to L.A. because there was also a situation where I was working in uh, a traditional orthopedic house up there that was doing a lot of work for people who had lots of pretty serious foot problems, partial amputations. I mean, it was some of it was pretty gross, obviously, um, not to minimize the, you know, the people that had to have these kinds of surgeries and things like that. So that orthopedic style work was uh, challenging in that you had to deal with all kinds of foot issues uh, that normal shoemaking doesn't deal with. And um, the shoes tend to be more uh, forgiving. Some of them have special kinds of padding inside for different conditions and whatnot. So uh, there's the aesthetic isn't necessarily there, but it's more about the comfort issue and trying to help people walk. So we worked with a lot of the hospitals there to guide the residences who are seeing people to be able to properly prescribe the specific work that needed to be done and and be able to convert what they know on their side to what we have to understand on our side as far as the terminology just basically describing a medical condition but putting into shoemaking terms with regards to different what they would call appliances and things like that so uh and different adjustments to pieces of footwear and uh, to help issues with gait and just help people to be able to make normal stepping procedures as they tried to walk so that if they couldn't flex their feet as much or their knees as much as a person without any kind of issues uh, all of these things were somewhat translatable into what i would say are shoe uh shoemaking terms based on the medical terms so it was a little bit of a give and take there so there was a, a fair amount of that and then as i said then i got you know more involved with uh getting out of the orthopedic stuff and um getting involved in just making shoes for different people. And uh, that's pretty much uh, where I kind of wound up um, towards the end of my time in uh, in the L.A. basin. Uh, and I think it was around the end of 1979 when I came back here and worked with my back, to, got together with my father again about, uh, you know, getting uh, – business up and running so there was okay. well, you know, oh, sorry i didn't pretty much how that how that fell down so that that's kind of how that all worked through okay well i, I guess i was kind of curious i mean you so you had some credentials before you started working with it in um los angeles you didn't just oh yeah okay yeah or, no just yeah you know, i didn't i didn't just, just you know walk in right <laughs> and lie your way yeah. saying yeah i can make shoes yeah yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, uh, I mean, um, did you move on, move back um, to Pennsylvania because you, you felt like you kind of have it like soaked up all the knowledge 
um, you had, or, or I mean, maybe it was a mix of things. You, as you said, you were going back and maybe starting up with your father, but um, I guess, how did you feel about your experience and, and I guess the things that you learned there, was it, um, I don't know, uh, enough that you felt capable well, that I can move on and, and maybe start my own business? Well, the thing of it is that a big uh, chunk of it had to do with uh, my oldest brother at the time as in a lot of uh, family hierarchy. He got first dibs at my father's business when my father was starting to wind down and wanting to retire. And for whatever reason, and I don't know what all the circumstances were about it because I wasn't here, I was out there, uh, and, but something happened where my father had to take the business back from my brother, and I got to talking with my father one time, long distance, and sort of came to a, a gentleman's agreement that uh, if I could make my way back or wanted to come back, um, you know, he would uh, work things out so that I could get going in the family original family business, which is what happened. Oh wow! So I mean, when, I, when I got so when I got back here, I sort of hit the ground running, pretty much out of uh, straight away. And as I started to um, sort of reintegrate myself with all of that, I had a chance, obviously, to do some studying over in Italy for six months. And that, that was about two years after I got back and uh, my father was still in the position to, you know, keep working and whatnot. So I did, did my thing over there and came back and he you know, just started taking the business to another level and mm-hmm. another level and another level. So that's, kind of the genesis of how I wound up back here starting to go more full bore back into uh, custom. Because you had, I mean, in a, another conversation with me, you had hinted that your father wasn't necessarily making um, shoes. He was more in the repair business. Is that right? Yes, because yeah, back during the depression when he had his business started in this town, there was you know, it's nobody, nobody had money to do anything much of barely putting a, you know, a rolled up piece of uh, a local newspaper inside their shoes to keep the, uh, keep the water soaking inside or something like that. So from what I understand, it was pretty hard times. So um, I think my father just had to make a decision that, uh, you know, making shoes was not going to be uh, the bane of his existence uh, moving forward. So his workshop pretty much predominantly uh, stuck with repairs for a good many years and, you know, it served him well and all of that stuff. So, um, you know, might did, did an occasional favor here or there, but generally speaking, yeah, that kind of, Stayed in a repair mode mm-hmm. until, so I I, guess, uh, until I got my until I got my little hands on everything and started to to make some plans. Oh, well, you had so. dreams. You had you had big dreams. I, I guess right. Which well, yeah, you were young. <laughs> I had a, some energy. Yes, I, yeah. no question about it. Okay. Well, I mean, what did your father say? Because I mean, he had been doing repairs for you know a couple decades, I guess, and. 
did he think no this you know making shoes isn't going to work nobody cares about that anymore that that you're never going to that it's not worth the time uh, or or was he you know um supportive of I think like I think like anything else it's uh, you know being the, the old school type of people and whatnot it was that you know if it's not broke don't fix it and why do you want to change things up and why do you divide you know all of that stuff and i just said this is you know this just seems to be something that i want to you know pursue again and then have that that whole old school bent on uh, some good quality and be able to do things that um is just a little more unique, a little more artistic. And, um, you know, that's kind of, uh, by that time, it was pretty much my baby. So that's what I ran with. And so you had gone to Italy, I guess, um, to, to study how, I mean, was it common? I mean, I guess I'm just wondering how unusual would it have been to be like an American at that time and, and wanting to learn about, I'm assuming you went to learn how to make shoes there and, and, and go overseas to Italy and, and make shoes. I just assume maybe you kind of stood out when you did that. Uh, I don't know. I, I, well, probably it was a little unusual in that, um, you know, we're not, we, when I say we, the, the you know, people in the United States, uh, you know, their kids weren't, uh, you know, we're mostly going to college and getting degrees and things like that. So um, most of the students in my classes were just from other parts other than the U.S. So, yes, it, I would say it's probably a little off the beaten track to see a U.S. citizen uh, enroll in this technical college there and uh, do studies. So... Uh, you know, it's just, I mean, to me, it's what I needed to do and where I needed to be. So that was, that was option number one. So I went for it. Awesome. Well, I mean, uh, I think it served, I mean, how, I guess, what were your feelings about the whole experience of, you know, taking classes and, and learning after you had done so many years of, I guess, you know, actual well, um, work. There was always there were always thing always things new things to learn or new ways to look at things. Uh, you know, I got I got schooled by some old masters that had been around the shoe industry probably like me since they were small, and they teach things differently. I guess uh, as far as they just kind of know things. So like when you would maybe ask, well, why do you do this? It's, it's usually, well, it's just the way we do it sort of thing. Like that. So, <laughs> I know that. <laughs> yeah. So, the, so what I was getting in the technical part of it was uh, a lot of the, you know, the background and pattern making and last development and how those two issues parlay on each other and have to have this kind of uh, symbiotic relationship to, to each other as to how this fits on this because this has a certain uh, 
uh, way it's it's drafted and the curvature and, and the inside outside things. There there are a lot of little nuanced technical parts of it that I had never thought about before, or even were, I guess brought to my attention simply because you know things are just handed to you and. And you didn't have all of the, uh, as I said, the, the technical qualities to to learning. You just kind of watched and and hoped that somebody would tell you the right things, or somebody wouldn't tell you the right. A lot of times, wouldn't tell you the right things, or wouldn't say anything. I mean, there there had been guys I'd met along the way uh, in different uh, shoe venues who were making shoes that didn't want to show anybody anything. They were very guarded. They uh, kind of maybe saw a younger person as a, a competition or something like that. So it was nice to be able to be in an environment and in a country where it's fairly pervasive for people to go into uh, uh, fashion arts, whether it be clothing or footwear or handbags or you know maybe automobile stuff. I mean, a lot of it's it's art and it's craft and it's um, specialized. So there was uh, a lot of that. And I think that is something that we don't seem to have that much going on here in the States as far as actual technical institutions. Um, I mean, maybe there's some things for, for auto mechanics and other kinds of um, trades, but some of these other things uh, just uh, don't seem to interest the you know the younger population. Although currently it's, it seems to be having some kind of a renaissance, but the actual places where you can go and get proper schooling on it and uh, uh, you know achieve things that are necessary to to move your craft and your art forward and you make good products because we just don't make stuff like this here in the United States. Mm -hmm. To my knowledge, there's not much left. So anyway, to to be immersed in all of that, and it's like anywhere you would go in in Milan or Florence. I mean, you're always seeing seeing fashion, high fashion, low fashion, in between fashion, but it's just kind of this whole part of being in a in a country where the creative arts have and probably will continue to flourish for a long long time and whether you're looking at pieces of art or paintings or buildings and aqueducts and things like that it's uh it, it just kind of you, you you're surrounded in it more or less so it's uh, a nice experience i think uh hopefully more people can uh, eventually take advantage of some of these kinds of things if they have wherewithal to want to uh, travel and spend some time overseas and get into one of these programs. It's a, it would be a, it's a nice it's a nice way to move your move yourself forward in a way that uh, doesn't necessarily mean uh, getting a, a four-year degree and. Um, some other kind of situation. So uh, not that I'm not, not knocking that, obviously, but it's, as I said, I think we may have touched on this in one of our earlier conversations. The, the hand arts 
if you want to call them that, as opposed to the liberal arts, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're very different and they speak to people in different ways. So you just have to kind of find your, the center of your, of your spirit and where that has to go and uh, you have to follow it. So at least you can follow it to a place where you can eat good spaghetti. <laughs> And I think it was, I um, mean, you, you touched on the fact that for these sort of um, trades, you tend to learn by doing, as you mentioned, you were working with a lot of folks in, in California, and, you know, it's probably uh, for other folks, they kind of do a, apprenticeships and, and learn, but getting this other point of view of going to school, understanding the, the how and why, and maybe the history and, um, you know, being in that um uh, I guess, uh, academic, um, mindset and, um, and way of learning is like the other, the other way of you get all this experience and then now you can kind of structure that and get an understanding of how everything falls together. So, I, I mean, it's, I think it's pretty good that you identified, you know, there was, um, maybe you wanted to, to learn a bit more. And so then you went that route of, um, going into Italy. So, I mean, I, I think that makes a ton of sense and seemed like it, was a really good experience. Um, yeah, and I, I think it's a nice thing too because, you know, over there where they're producing all kinds of products for the industry itself, you can just dive in a lot deeper. You can go to tanneries. You can talk to people about, well, you know, why are you tanning it at this sort of millage and, you know, uh, you know the specific type of leather and the different aspects of the tanning process as opposed to something else that might be used for. So you get a lot of little bits and pieces of information from, uh, you know, why insoles are struck a certain way with a certain tanning process and the internal components. And um, so you actually get to meet people from all different facets of the industry itself. It's not just, guys who are sitting at a bench uh, or in a workshop banging uh, shoes together. So you you have a whole appreciation of, of the whole processes that occur in and around the shoe industry and, and the shoe making process. So it's, it's, it's really a, a wealth of knowledge if, you, if you're able to take the time and uh, seek all of that out and be able to talk to people and can, I mean, trade shows are around all the time, at least back in the day, uh, you know, where you'd have two major fashion seasons and, you know, you could go and see trends and, uh, you know, talk to other makers and talk to other vendors and suppliers and things like that. So it's, it's really a, a way to immerse yourself in the whole system the whole psychology of it so it's it's nice it's uh, to have all of this I'll sort of say peer review and peer peer-to-peer discussions and all of that other stuff so that it, it's I think at least for me it's very beneficial I, I you know I, I always think you know, it's something that if you have some knowledge and you can apply it to the different aspects of what you're doing, whether it be, as I said, a raw material or a making process or the types of raw materials that you use, again, that you know, you just kind of get to know some of these little ins and outs and how things are going to flow more easily into a, into a harmonious uh, piece of work.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that makes sense because, you know, if you don't have that, sometimes you're just kind of going through the motions and, um, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it's, you're, you're only looking at things, uh, if you're looking at them all, just kind of in terms of, well, processes as opposed to, you know, mm-hmm. it seemed like you were getting the, the I guess, bigger picture and that yeah. holistic, mm-hmm. I, um, I guess, uh, viewpoint. So uh, it seems like you made made the most of it, I guess. Um, and and uh, oh, yeah. I guess what, what, I mean, what happened, um, what happened next after you finished, um, I guess, your, your time in Italy or, you know, your, your course? Well, as I said, I just kind of came back and was able to throw myself full tilt into ramping myself and the business back into the, the idea of, of custom and started to uh, make moves to really push that end of the business to another level and felt like I wanted to, uh, you know, do more than I could probably handle by my myself. So uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to come across a couple of uh, three people over the years uh, who could uh, help me out in uh, you know, executing uh, all the work issues and stuff like that. And I, I was just trying to concentrate on promoting myself and uh, kind of trying to build some uh, connections with some of the people in New York City who are also in similar types of businesses, clothing guys and shirt shirt makers and that sort of thing, and trying to get my uh, you know, my PR out there as best I could, talking to uh, different writers in different magazines, and uh, was fortunate enough to get enough good press over the years back when. Uh, you, you know, had a fair amount of fashion magazines available in the newsstand. And uh, it was, uh, as I said, fortunate that uh, I was able to garner some nice press and uh, get get the word out. And that kind of really helped catapult my business to another level. So that's really where I concentrated a lot of my efforts on. And obviously the you know, the aesthetics as far as styling and things like that. So as I said, I was able to to find a few good guys that, you know, helped with the execution of the shoemaking and whatnot. So that was good. So I'm curious, like this, uh, maybe you're, you're talking about like the 80s and 90s? Mm-hmm, yes. Okay, I'm curious, like the demand for um, custom shoes, like I assume it was higher than it or, or how would you compare the demand then with the demand um maybe in like the year uh, the decades uh, what, what do you call decades that 2000 i guess 2000 to 2020 2020 uh, i guess how would you compare like the, the demand and maybe your customers um and, and all that I mean, i'm kind of curious like were they well i would and i would, more I would than, yeah i would say the i, I mean I'd say the 80s, 90s, and and the first decade of of 2000 was pretty darn good. I mean, there were a lot of people who had been and still do use some of the British makers because they were the ones who were really making most of the waves over here. So to have somebody 
stateside who could give people the same level of shoemaking with the same quality and whatnot was, I think, probably a bit of an anomaly at first. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was uh, I was very very fortunate and uh, very thankful that uh, you know the press treated me well uh, back then and was able to you know put together some really nice storylines in uh, the, some feature magazines that uh, did a lot to go uh, a long way into help propelling the the custom business to you know where it was. And where it is, so um, I'm fortunate in that regard. So yeah, I would say all those three decades. Uh, obviously, things got a little disruptive after 9/11, um, and whatnot. As uh, and then in the uh, financial meltdown in 2008, and a couple of subsequent years after that. But uh, in general, uh, you know, we just kind of held our ground as best we could, and uh, just kind of kept chugging along. So, uh, you know, you, you take the good with the bad and uh, do your best you can and, you know, hope for better days sometimes. And, um, you know, when it's flush, it's flush. And sometimes when it's quiet, it's quiet. And it's, as I said, so it's just, I think it's like anything else. It's got an ebb and flow. Some of it's tied to the economic times or uh, po- political uh, times and whatnot. But, Generally speaking, I think certain category of clientele who are used to um, having disposable income aren't seemingly seemingly rattled too much. Uh, so um, I think things have worked out pretty well overall. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess. Um. I mean, did you? Would you have? Uh, would you say that there have been any noticeable like? Um, changes in the requests uh, or changes in the shoes you've made? Um, you know, was it like all, I don't know, black shoes before and, and now there's oh, you know, more, more variety? Or, yeah, or I'm just kind of curious. I would say probably, you know, a lot of this, this craze over the last, I don't know, what has it been six, eight years now about having like, you know, really extended toe shoes for men kind of making them back into dandies again and some of these wild color schemes and things like that that really hasn't been any kind of an issue in my business most of my clientele seem to just want some nice good clean well-made shoes that are I think would I would say still on somewhat on the conservative side. So I don't I don't really get uh people asking me for anything that's uh you know just a little over the top or anything like that that I can I can recall in recent memory or even mm-hmm. in the past. So yeah, I th- I think I think uh, uh people who have a uh sort of a distinctive taste level uh, that kind of goes up the food chain or the fashion chain, so to speak. I think they they tend to you know try to like to be a little more quiet about their uh, clothing options and fashion choices. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense, um, especially when we're dealing with you know bespoke um, shoes, and you probably mm-hmm. 
want, I mean, if, if you're going to spend the money, you probably would like something that's versatile and, you know, probably you can, and it's not, and it's mostly, I guess, about the fit. So, you know, it, to, to have something that's really outrageous that you can only wear with, you know, a certain outfit and only a certain time of year mm -hmm. for certain events, right. uh, maybe is not the greatest investment where you, as you could get something that's versatile, you right. can wear, right. you know, more frequently exactly. and get more use exactly. out of it. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and then you know it's not a it's not an inexpensive proposition. So, and I and this is part of the thing that goes back to some of the things I'd mentioned earlier on in our discussions. That when uh, I, I want to make sure that a guy understands what he's getting himself into, and and I always uh, tell them again, it's like don't buy something that you know you're going to have an expensive pair of shoes, but they're going to sit in the closet and collect dust. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. uh, and you're going to have like buyer's remorse. So like, how did I ever buy that color? Just because of the, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, just, so that, that's kind of the way I try to approach things with guys. So that's, that's my, that's my, my, my cautionary tale to, to people who want to, you know, step into custom made. Mm -hmm. Well, and it makes sense because, you know, as you mentioned, shoes could last 25, 30 years. So it's something mm -hmm. ideally you can still see yourself wearing 30 years from now or, you know, 20, 30 years from now. So sure. Um, easily, yeah. easily. Well, I, I guess, yeah, so. um, you know, I kind of want to talk about, you know, since you know, you've been making shoes for four decades, um, what, what you've seen, I mean, I've, I've been kind of touching on it, like well, what changes you've, you've seen, um, you know, I guess in these four decades, um, I mean, I guess technology has, has changed a lot. Has that, um, I guess, made any impact in anything you've done or changed anything that um, you do? And, and I guess, you know, I'll just throw in because you do do some repair work. I mean, does that affect it, um, technology or, or um, whatnot? I haven't, I haven't really seen anything that has really moved the needle dramatically one way or the other. I would say the only thing that um, might come to mind, uh, and although it, it doesn't really seem to have much bearing on the custom bespoke business, is um, the advent of uh, computer-aided design and computer uh, uh, pattern uh, 3d 2d pattern making and nesting and things like that but again that has more applications in a factory setting because they're cutting multiple pairs at a time and they're laying out skins on a on a laser cutter that uh, you know they're nesting parts for again multiple pairs of shoes and multiple pieces parts and all of that stuff so i mean this stuff is pretty much done the way it was done for, I don't know, probably 200 years old. Uh, you know, the tools, the tools, if you go uh, even into uh, this little museum here that's in my town uh, that's dedicated to American crafts, you still see some of the tools from uh, the early 1900s that look very similar to what I use today, they're not. It's 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 not rocket science. It's uh, you know it's just basically shoe um, It's well, it's, it's shoe science, but it's it's you know it's it's also as I said, you know, you're dealing with um, 
you know, hand tools uh, that I wouldn't say are as old as Methuselah, but they're, you know, some of them are updated a little bit here, a little bit there, maybe a little stronger metals and things of that nature, but there's still some of the same things. I mean, really the only, the only, I guess, thing that I can think of that really maybe just impacts uh, what I do and what some of my colleagues would be doing, whether they're here or anywhere else in the world, is um, you know just trying to use social media to go out and spread the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess you know you mentioned trade magazines and all that. I guess that well, now now Twitter and um, forums and I guess Instagram probably the the new versions which. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I guess it's more images and maybe less in-depth text uh, as you might find in a magazine article, um, which, you know, I guess it's just a matter of getting, getting a, a handle on, on all that, but it, it's different, you know, it makes mm-hmm. sense. Definitely. Uh, well, I, I mean, you, you touched on, um, maybe economic and, uh, factors, um, I mean, it's like dealing with the economy, um, and, and one as maybe reasons that you know business slowed down after the um, in the new millennium. I'm kind of curious. Uh, what about the idea of or the proliferation of sneakers and you know other more casual shoes and and the fact that um, you know you saw maybe fewer suits, which I guess maybe people traditionally would wear. You know they're going to wear suits, so they can't really wear sneakers. I mean nowadays, I guess that's slightly more common, but back then certainly no one would, would do that. I'm just kind of curious, um, you know, how much of an impact, uh, did the way people, I guess the, the casual, I guess, dress, um, impact, you know, well, it, sales. It, I mean, it's, yeah, I think, well, it's big. I mean, if you look around at almost any, major brand today whether they be the mid-tier people or the upper end people they're all they're all doing some kind of a trainer uh casual uh, and this whole sort of started back when uh you know they had uh casual fridays in uh corporate world that eventually got um they put the brakes on, but somehow or another, it it seemed to stick. And then you've got uh, just people in general who just appear in uh, conference calls, and uh, you know, people like you know Steve Jobs when he'd give his uh, discussions and things like that. All the tech revolution and all these people are they're all they're all in jeans and t-shirts and things like that, and. I just think the whole thing just went not to hell in a handbasket. I mean, it's great for the for the you know people like uh, Phil Knight and uh, companies like that, but um, you know, for someone like myself, that people want to have shoes made like that, we you know we just, you know don't do it. You know, don't have. I mean, cause that's all. It's all machinery and everything else. It's uh, listen. I I, I don't. I don't begrudge anybody um, their successes and everything else and, you know, how they want to comport themselves with their dress. But it, I, I think it personally kind of um, 
from a standpoint of, of dressing up, I, I just think we're losing something. I think we're just kind of losing a little bit of, I don't know if you want to call it swagger or whatever it is that, you know, you just can't go out uh, in an evening and, uh, you know, people just don't seem to want to get dressed. I mean, the, the women, yes, the, the, the guys, it seems to be more of uh, a situation that, that men seem to embrace, uh, with activewear and such like that, um, uh, you know, there are situations where, you know, if I go out here in town or something like that, and I just want to put a nice sport coat on and a nice shirt and get dressed up and people say, you were, you know, what's the occasion? I said, yeah, oh, yeah. I just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I wear, uh, you know, I work shoes and, uh, jeans and, uh, you know, a work apron all day long. I said, when I you know, treat myself to a night out, I you know feel like it. At least I owe it to myself to get out of a work mode and uh, kind of try to present myself in a in a good light. So I, you know, every as I said, I don't mean to wax ad nauseum about this, but it's it solves a lot of problems when you can people who have lots of issues with their feet and they can't find shoes and this and and everything else. I mean, the prices of some of these things are, I mean, you can buy a pair of trainers uh, made over in the far East for, you know, maybe 15, 18, $19. Um, And then you can find these things that are uh, ungodly expensive. Uh, There's not that much difference actually in them other than maybe somebody's name that's, stamped on the inside but they're all kind of still made pretty much the same um but certain things are, you know fashion trends it's the cycle that it's going to go around and around and around anywhere it stops who knows but um it's just seems to be here to stay um i, I don't i don't know it's it's not my thing but as I said, you know, people want to do it. That's fine. I just uh, would like to see people dressed up more. Mm-hmm. No, no, I, I hear you. it's you know it's it's hard to say that there's um, I guess this this negative factor because you know at the moment it feels it feels great. But I guess you know one of the things that um, I've noticed is even when people do want to get dressed up now, it, it's it's difficult to, to know how because you don't do it very frequently and in as such like dressing up people want to but yet it, it, it sometimes they don't look great and, and i guess to, to me um you know it, it's i guess one of the analogies you could use is, is like you know when you exercise you work out a particular muscle and you know so so you you have that kind of ready as long as you continuously exercise that muscle and and once you stop exercising it you you kind of lose that muscle memory and how to do those exercises and and your muscles get weaker it's you know it's like sometimes things aren't like riding a bike when you stop riding a bike you Mm. can just get back on and and ride again you know you would without that muscle memory and and all that you know with the behind it 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 can be hard and and the fact is it's not just you it's when um you know society doesn't necessarily dress up well then the manufacturers can get maybe a little sloppier with their designs designers can you know they can cut some corners and and whatnot and before you know it that the products that are out there for you to get dressed up aren't even as as nice anymore and you know there's that collective i guess knowledge and and memory and and um you know all, all that 
is lost gradually. And before you know it, I think, um, you know, you'll, you'll just, you won't be able to get dressed up anymore because people won't remember how, and the, the products that are out there for you to get dressed up aren't that nice. Like they, they probably aren't that much different than non-dressed up versions of the products. So I, I, yeah. I think that to me, that's one of the things that uh, isn't obvious now, but um, will be later. And I think, you know, I, I read an article once, I think it was Apple um, at one point wanted to manufacture some, some product or, or some component of, of their like iPhone or whatnot in the U.S. But it turns out like nobody in the U.S. could do that anymore. It, it had been gone for so long that no factory could do it. And even if they could set it up, no people in the U.S. would really be able to run that factory to make those products. It, maybe I'm not sure. I think it was Apple, but it could have been like an airplane company or, or something. It was just like a particular product had, had been gone for so long that it can only be made in Asia now. So, um, you know, yeah. and, and that's a big loss when you can't have, you know, those things. I mean, yeah. well, like, as we're seeing yeah. now with COVID, you know, you, yeah. Know, you, yeah. you want to well, be able to have some things um, not in all in one basket. So, yeah. but well, I, I, I think to, to harken back to a little bit, and I, as I said, I, maybe I kind of lost my way in my whole train of thought there. But I, when you look back, when you look at photographs and movies that you know go back to the time uh, post World War II and uh, you know the, the baby boomer here and people were getting their first homes and all of the other stuff and. Uh, I mean, you look at old Hollywood and you look at how nice people dressed up. You look at the movies and even you look at pictures of crowded streets in New York. You know, men wore hats all the time and they had suit coats on or sport coats on. And, you know, women had pumps and it, it, it just, I don't, not that it was necessarily overly elegant or anything like that, but it was just that people, I don't know, maybe it was just sort of, just a respectful way of dressing in a, in a, in a time when um, I don't know those values of, of you know maybe we didn't have as much as we do today obviously but what we had was just made uh, better and with uh, more care and love and um, people had to work a little harder to get something uh, nice to wear whether it be for a holiday season or not and uh and as i said you you saw a lot of that reflected in old hollywood when they made movies and actors and actresses were dressed up and looked nice and you had the cary grants and fred astaire and jimmy stewart and all of these gary cooper types that uh you know everybody just looked as I said, maybe not elegant, but they certainly looked nice. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've just lost that. And I don't know, you know, whether it's just part of, you know, the technology boom that, that, that hit us, you know, square in the face. And uh, all of a sudden, as I said, we see people with, uh, you know, giving presentations and t-shirts and jeans and sneakers and uh, that, sort of seems to be coming the norm and um i don't know and you know we have more clothing options today than ever but i don't think that they're necessarily good options and 
it's um, and we don't have the we don't as you were alluding to we don't have the magazines and we don't have the the print magazines that you know when you went through um, even an old copy of uh, oh, I don't know uh, even some of the old magazines that were around back then for uh, like Esquire or Gentleman's Quarterly and I mean you you saw nice page after page after page of of you know nicely detailed clothing and things like that and you just you don't you know online now i think because there's very little print magazine stuff out there um you just don't see it and we we just kind of lost we've definitely lost our way when it comes to fashion that's it's, i guess that's the best way i can put it and um whether we'll get it back or not i don't know i would like to hope so at some point but again you know a lot of that was um in the old older days when uh you know fathers taught their sons about dressing up and you know to tie your tie. doing your sunday best and all that other stuff and there was evil even that uh you know i'm going to give you these shoes when you get all you know to an age where you know, they, you know all of this stuff so it's it's just it's just it's just to me it's a lot of a mishmash these days so i don't mm-hmm. i don't get it but i don't have to so well, it's just kind of a little bit of a my pet peeve for me. So, well, anyway, uh, Philip, I'm going to have to yep. I'm going to have to wrap it up here. So, sure, sure. Okay, we'll we'll wrap it up. Um, and I think we touched on some good things. So, um, I don't know if you want to continue or not. I, I did other things, but again, oh yeah, definitely. I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll have to see how my schedule is going to flush out for next week and figure out maybe a night or two when we can uh, you know spend like 45 minutes or so. Okay. Perfect. Um, uh, like we're doing tonight, and um, pick it up. Perfect. Then. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Barry. Okay, Philip. You as well, and uh, you have a good rest of your weekend. And I'll uh, I'll be in touch uh, next week. Okay. Wonderful. You have a great weekend too. All right. I'll, I'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye.